0: you know, everyone is dealing with something. This was just mine. And I think the most important thing is don't let whatever hurdles are thrown your way interfere with what you want to do. Photography was my passion and I was not going to let losing the vision in my right eye change that.
1: Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the active ingredient podcast. I'm your host Sophie wheel, and I am a deeply curious person who is constantly on a mission to uncover the light that exists within all of us. On this podcast, I talk to people from all walks of life who have uncovered their light and actively cultivate it in their everyday, whether it be through career relationships, spirituality, or a combination of the three. My hope is that these conversations help us start uncovering our own light that already exists within us, which is what I like to call our active ingredient, so that we can tap into it, bring it to the forefront, and live the lives that we were intended to. Hello, happy Monday. I literally have been waiting for this day because I'm just so excited to be releasing this episode. I literally feel like it's Christmas morning to be able to share this with you guys because the guest this week is absolutely phenomenal. I haven't been able to stop thinking about her from the first time that we had our call to when we did the interview, to when I was at I just like, I, I really have been so deeply impacted by this conversation. And I really like, she she's like honestly become a role model to me. Like she's just so incredibly positive. So the guest of the show this week is Alyssa Greenberg, a freelance photographer who is based in New York with a focus in lifestyle, fashion, and portraiture. She's worked with some of the biggest names in brands and entertainment. Back in 2015, after having gone swimming in a lake with her friends, Alyssa's right eye unknowingly became infected with acanthamoeba keratitis, a parasite that resulted in two cornea transplants and ultimately completely lost her vision in her right eye which is the eye that she actually used to shoot with. While she says that she wouldn't wish this on her worst enemy, she's actually extremely grateful it happened to her because it entirely shifted her perspective and view of life for the better. This life-changing hurdle only reinforced her deep love of photography, and she decided to adapt and persevere. She trained her left eye to be her shooting eye and says that losing her vision has actually driven her to become an even better photographer, and I've seen her work and I totally, totally agree. On this episode, we discuss her background into how she got into photography in the first place. She walks us through her whole process of having lost her vision and how she coped, what she learned about people and how they deal with pain, and her biggest learnings from going through it. We talk about the importance of being truly, truly grateful, specifically for your health, why your passion doesn't necessarily need to be your career, finding the small things to actually be the biggest victories, and getting comfortable with adopting no matter the circumstance. So with that, let's welcome Alyssa Greenberg, which to date is now my favorite episode and my favorite guest that I've had on the show. Please enjoy this and take care of yourselves. Well, thank you so much for coming on Active Ingredient. Um, We were just talking before the podcast started that you are literally the exact type of guest that I want to continue to have on. And I'm so excited to hear your story and your journey. And yeah, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for reaching out to me and for coming on. Well, thank you
0: so much for having me. Um, I'm so excited to get to talk with you and share a little bit of my story. Hopefully it inspires other people.
1: I, I mean, it definitely will. You had me crying when we were on the phone for literally 10 minutes. So um, as you know, since you're an active ingredient listener, I um, start every podcast asking the guest what they were like as a kid that they remember. And I want you to get into like your relationship with your sister. Cause I literally told you, I'm so jealous that you live with her in New York. It's like something I've always wanted to do. So yeah. So take me back to what you were like as a kid, um, what your interests were and yeah. And your kind of like family life.
0: Yeah. um, I grew up outside of Boston in a very creative household. Uh, Both my parents were in advertising. Um, My dad was a creative director and my mom used to work for him. And then she left to raise me and my sister. My sister and I are 15 months apart. Um, We've been living together for almost five years now, and it's absolutely the best thing in the world. especially (laughs) Especially last year, you know, Going through 2020, like having her by my side was the greatest gift of all. But I was very fortunate to grow up in such a creative household where I was encouraged to kind of do anything. You know, it didn't have to be in the norm of like careers, and I could start my own business, and like that was very normal in my family. So I was very fortunate to to have that uh, foundation and support growing up, Um, but yeah, my family's super tight. And I think that definitely helped me grow as a person, but I had them to lean back on for career advice and business advice. I call my mom like three times a day asking her questions and I'm very fortunate.
1: I love that. So you grew up in a creative household. What Did you know that because of that you wanted to go down a creative path? Like you, you told me that you've been obsessed with photography ever since you can remember, but what was it like, what was your first foray into photography? Like what, what was about like the creative field that drew you in aside from seeing it from your parents that you saw yourself kind of like having that similar lifestyle?
0: Yeah. I mean, I always knew I'd do something creative. I wasn't maybe sure that would be photography until the end of high school. Okay. Um, But you know, like growing up, I, you know, my strengths were art projects, whatever that may be for school, you know, Mm -hmm. to be able to showcase my knowledge through visual. So it was always my strong suit. I remember in high school, there was a history project and I worked so hard on it. And I made this beautiful, I don't know, it had to be like 24 foot display. And I like made the papers vintage by dipping them in coffee and like burning the edges with candles and like collecting all these like antiques for it. Um, and I got an F on the project, but my teacher kept kept it and hung it in the room because visually she thought it was an A. I just didn't do the assignment correctly. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Yeah. So it's probably still hanging in that classroom. But, you know, so I always knew that art was my strong suit. Um, although I did really well in school and, you know, I was very detail oriented. I'm very type A. I love to be organized. Um, so all that stuff leads now to my business side of my career. But I grew up around photo books and photo shoots and commercials and print shoots and campaigns. My family on the weekend would go to Barnes & Noble and we'd go straight to the magazine section. And for hours, I would flip through Vogue and Elle and you know all of the fashion magazines. I always had a fascination with fashion. I loved it. Um, I didn't think that's where I'd end up, but I- What did I, you love about it? You know, the the glamour aspect of it. You know, I've always had a strong love for pop culture, which I think leads itself into fashion so well, and they both kind of intertwine. So I always had a fascination with stuff like that, you know, keeping up to date on celebs and gossip. Mm-hmm. And I've loved that kind of stuff. Um, but fashion, you know, it has this kind of, glitter effect to it. It just kind of shines. And I didn't think that's where I'd end up. But um, when I went to my first fashion week, I was like, okay, this, this is it. This is where I'll
1: be. You know? Wow. Okay. So I want to go back to being around photo shoots and like being in that creative world. And you said it was end of high school when you realized that you wanted to go into photography specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, why photography? Why stills versus like videography versus going into like an advertising role where you can kind of like bring all of those things together. What What was it about photography itself?
0: I think I I loved the ability to take a moment and capture it in kind of just one instance, you know, to be able to tell a story through one image. You know, I I have a great respect for videographers and I do do some video now, but um, I loved what my dad did in advertising and what my mom did, but I, I think I wanted to be on the other side. I didn't want to be directing a shoot. I wanted to be making the shoot. So I think that I knew that whatever I was going to do was going to be more of a manual aspect of creativity. When I was in high school, I wasn't. I was in the photography club, and I, I did do photography as a side business. I shot like everybody's senior portraits. You know, oh my god! Side, like people <laughs> meet me in the local park, and I shot <laughs> people's headshots. Um, you know, so I was doing. I technically started my business in high school. Um, you know, shooting and getting money for it. Um, yeah. but I didn't know that's where I'd end up being. So when I applied to colleges, I applied to art schools and universities. I ended up at Syracuse University, which had a strong photojournalism program. And but I picked Syracuse in case I was taking photo classes and felt, you know, this isn't for me. I, I thought it was, but I can switch to something else. But I ended up loving journalism in telling stories that way. So I think that growing up, you know, storytelling was always the background of what it was, whether it was creatively through a photo shoot or, you know, copywriting or whatever I was seeing in the advertising world. Um, I just took the other aspect of it in more of the display of the story.
1: Do you find that photography is one of those things that you do need to go to university for or that you do need to take courses for? Or is it one of those that you kind of like learn on the job? Um, because I feel like nowadays everyone considers themselves like some sort of photographer with an iPhone. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like from like a technical perspective, is that something that you think people should actually like take the time and, and understand um, the technicalities of it? And did you think that your like time in university Helped make you the photographer that you are today?
0: I don't think you have to go to school for it at all. Um, I think my background going to university helped me grow as a person, not necessarily as a photographer. Of course, I learned some technical backgrounds and, you know, I had amazing mentors to help me with my work and learning how to edit and tell a story and, like, you know, picking which images were more bold or, you know, that uh, helping me realize what makes a good image, but you absolutely could learn that from assisting or even on your own through YouTube. You know, there's, I learned so much now running my business as the years go on. Like I'm just learning every day. Um But I do think, I mean, I wish I could go back and get more of the business aspect. You know, mm-hmm. I think I would have and more prepared when I graduated to know like what goes into running your own business it actually never occurred to me to get a nine-to-five job I just always knew I'd freelance the minute I
1: really. That was my next question. Like so you graduated from Syracuse and then you just started shooting. Like how did you build your your Rolodex? How did you build like how did you even know what to charge people out of college? It's different to be like taking headshots like in high school for your friends like your parents are paying for everything, but like yeah. when you <laughs> when you're out in the world, like how did you figure that out?
0: It's funny my um my program being I graduated with a photojournalism degree so the the focus for the students was like you would And I thought I would like maybe work for the New York Times or Time or, you know, um, being more of a staff photographer working for Getty, um, something like that. But um, that was kind of what they geared you towards being prepared for. So I think I was definitely a little bit of an outlier in that way. But since my dad started his own business at the same age, I don't know, it, it just... I mean, some people grow up and they know they're going to do a nine to five and have a desk job. And to me, I just knew I would start my own business. It just, that's what my family was. And so that's what made the most sense to me. Um, but I had started covering New York fashion week while I was still in college. I would take a week off. I'd come to New York. I'd stay in a hotel. How did you get those connects? Um, I had an internship at Harper's Bazaar mm-hmm. going into my senior year of college um, where I think that's really where I realized I wanted to be in fashion photography, but knew I didn't want to do it behind the scenes. You know, I had great appreciation for the research and the steps that goes into organizing and production to the shoot, but I wanted to be on the shoot, taking the photo, not on mm-hmm. the desk, looking at them afterwards, being so... So jealous that I didn't take that shot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when I was here living in the city, I was just meeting people and still shooting and doing projects. Um, and I made a connection to a girl who was like, "Hey, you wouldn't want to come to Fashion Week, would you? And just shoot. Like, I don't have any money to pay you, but um, I could get you into a couple shows." And I was like, "Yes, absolutely. I don't care that you can't pay me." And so I took the week off of school and I came and I put myself up in a hotel and. I went to Rebecca Minkoff and Zach Posen, and like I think maybe three other words. I did Vera Wang, and I was just in awe, you
1: know. That's incredible.
0: You know, being backstage in the glamour. I mean, I saw Naomi Campbell in my first show, and I was just like, deceased. I, I couldn't <laughs> believe I was there, you know.
1: It didn't totally. matter. If I wasn't getting
0: paid, and I was like, you know, of course, I went back to school the next week, and Nobody could care less that I was at Fashion
1: Week. No, yeah. I totally hear you. I hear you. Sure, I hear you.
0: But um, yeah, so I just, I knew that that's kind of where I wanted to be. So then when I graduated, I used those connections to continue to shoot Fashion Week and get involved in the fashion industry that way, making connections to designers and influencers and, you know, makeup artists and, because they're all there. Yeah. You know? So I was like, this is my time. And, um, did you
1: have like a business card? Like, how are you like hustling? Like, how are you like, like, I want to understand, like, what are you saying? Like, Oh, I can shoot you for the day for this rate. Like (laughs) give it to someone who's like listening. That's maybe interested in doing it. Like, how did you actually do it?
0: I mean, I did business cards back then. Now I mean, I have a million business cards and i never use them. Now I think your Instagram's your business card, mm-hmm. you know, connecting with people, making sure they follow you back, and <laughs> you know, DMing them afterwards. It was so great to meet you, you know. I think that's kind of how I would have done it now, But back then, I was just giving people my cards and emailing them and, you know, staying connected to those people. Um, actually, I was still living in Boston at the time but I gave off the illusion I was living in New York because I was always- Oh, I
1: did that too. My God. My my resume had some random ass address on <laughs> the top. It was such a lie. Yeah. I think at the beginning, I tried to use my boyfriend at the time's address and he was
0: like, not about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I didn't want people to know I wasn't here because so I was willing to be here for whatever cost it was. Yeah. Um, I actually was working um, as a team photographer for the Boston Celtics at the
1: time. So that was a cool. lot of. Was that full time?
0: So it wasn't full time. I was still freelance. So I would, you know, shoot a couple events for them in a week and then I'd come to New York and take a meeting and then come back and then I'd go back for fashion week. So I was constantly back and forth. But that's what kind of kept me grounded in Boston while I was doing that. Um, but I always say the NBA in Fashion Week are very similar. Everyone is, really. Everyone is double my height. I'm still <laughs> the shortest one on set. <laughs> that is hilarious. In my little step stool, um, which that's is so actually funny. how I got my Instagram name, um, "Small Girl Big Lens," because that's what people on um, the Celtics used to call me. I was the little girl on set. That's um, so, so that-
1: cute. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So you're doing this for how many years? I mean,
0: I graduated in 2013. So that's officially how I've been out of school, but, um, okay. but I, and, and then, if you count the senior portraits in high school.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I really, I want to get into kind of what happened to you in 2015. Um, I think that like, obviously I want you to tell your story, but I just, I think it's such an important story now more than ever. I mean, you can like placeholder what happened to you with like what's happening to so many people at different levels because of what we're experiencing in the world. And I just think it's such a powerful story of resilience. And I would just love to hear every aspect of what you went through. Um, And yeah, take it, take it from here.
0: Um, I'm going to do my best to tell the
1: story (laughs) without
0: like crying or cracking my voice. It's okay. Um, You know, I... 2015 wasn't that long ago. So a lot of times it still feels very fresh. Um but I know it wasn't. You know, <laughs> I know it's but in some aspects of my life seems like it's moved so drastically in the different directions since then that it seems like a lifetime ago, almost like I blacked out part of what happened to me. Um but in 2015, I went um on a weekend trip with friends. Um, and we were on a lake in New Hampshire. And we went out tubing, and I was tubing in my contacts. Um, I had had contacts since high school, um, and I wore them out so that I didn't have to wear my glasses on the lake like any normal person wouldn't <laughs> want to. And um, I went tubing, and I fell off the tube, I was in the water for like maybe less than 10 seconds, you know, got out, got back in the boat, went home, you know, went on with my life, and then. I went to Fashion Week that September. So that was in August. So then in September, I was here in New York for Fashion Week. And my right eye could not stop tearing. I thought it was the sun. I thought, you know, maybe I had something in it. But I, like, could not stop it from watering and crying. I could barely see out of it. Um, You know, I made it through all my shoots for the day. And then I made a doctor's appointment at, like, a local... You know, eye doctor, it was like in a Macy's, you know, in Brooklyn. And I was like, that's all I had time for because Fashion Week is so back to back scheduled. They said that I had a scratch on my cornea. So I got like a prescription eye drop. And then when I went back to Boston, I saw my regular eye doctor. He confirmed that that was the same thing, gave me another eye drop. Um, I took the eye drops for a couple months and I still, my eye was not getting better. I still could barely see out of it it was sore. I just, I knew something else was up. And so my mom and I looked at each other and she was like, I'm going to take you into Mass Eye and Ear. Um, So she took me into Massachusetts Eye and Ear in the emergency room. And they told me I had acanthamoeba keratitis. It's a really rare parasite that I got in my right eye um, that causes loss of vision. Did that happen
1: from the lake?
0: So it did, but it didn't occur to me because the lake incident was at that point, like three months
1: before,
0: you know, they went through all these different instances. Did you do this, this, this? And I was like, no, I have no idea. Like they were like, have you ever been in fresh water? I was like, no. And I was like, in August, I went swimming in a lake, but I didn't even really go swimming. And they were like, that was it. So the parasite was in the fresh water in the lake and got trapped underneath my contact. Um, and then, you know, kind of getting worse because I was misdiagnosed a couple
1: times at that point. How did it happen? Sorry to interrupt, but how did it happen in one eye and not the other?
0: I have no idea. And it's the biggest blessing of my life. It really is. It really is. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, they told me when I was there you know, ER doctors get it all the time because they rinse their eyes out. They splash them with fresh water when they're doing long hours in the ER. So it comes from fresh water. So it could have come from the lake. It could have come from wearing my contacts in the shower, which I used to do. Um, if anybody takes anything from this podcast, I hope it's don't wear contacts in fresh water.
1: Um, I think that's a pretty good takeaway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, you'd be surprised how many people in my life reached out after and were like, Oh my God, I did the same thing. I can't believe it. Nobody tells you that it's like this fine, fine line on your contact box. Um, cause I had originally gotten contacts when I joined the sailing team,
1: um, to wear wow. in fresh water.
0: So <laughs> had I known that that wouldn't have happened,
1: but so um, wait, sorry. What is the, what is the condition called again?
0: Well, the canthamoeba
1: keratitis. Okay. And is it a permanent uh, condition or is it reversible or what? what's the situation? It's
0: not supposed to be permanent. They told me when I went in that I would be better by Thanksgiving, which was six weeks. And I thought that was awful at the time. Um, but I went on medication and I just never got better. Um, they switched it around. I was on oral medications, you know, taking pills, I was on different eye drops and it just wasn't getting any better. So then they were like, "We'll try this and this." And eventually it got to a point where I was in absolute severe pain. My really? eye was pounding, um, and they had to do an emergency cornea transplant in February of the following year. Um, they hadn't treated the Acanthamoeba at that point. So they knew that the transplant wouldn't last that long, um, because my eye still had the infection. Um, so I actually was supposed to be in fashion week the following week. And I had to email all my clients explaining to them. I had to cancel, which is so heartbreaking. You know, some of them are really understanding and I'll be honest. Some of them were not.
1: <laughs> How know? could you not be like, were you, know, you telling I mean, them what happened?
0: Yeah, I was like, I have to go into an emergency surgery. I'm so sorry. You know, some of them were um, clients I had had for a while. So they, you know, they understand some of them were new clients. So then I'm sure they were like, we took a risk on this girl. Yeah. She's canceling on us. Um, But there was nothing I could do at that point. Um, So I had the surgery. And then afterwards, I was kind of stuck in a dark room for a couple months you know, recuperating. I could barely be in any sort of sunlight. Um, I used to watch TV through the holes of a blanket stitching, you know, in between the knitting and hold it up because that's literally as much light as I could contain without like screaming in pain.
1: Oh my God. Um,
0: so eventually my transplant didn't last that long and it, I got my second one in July of that year. And then I've had that one since. Um, wow. They don't last, uh, more than 10 years. And the more you get, the less they last. So like I, mine won't last 10 years because this is already my second one. Um, but I've, I've made it a, you know, a good chunk of
1: time since. So, yeah. So you can't see at all from your right eye.
0: No, I never got my vision back. Um, I'm still on eye drops. I take them three times a day. Um, sometimes that changes. Sometimes it's four times a day. Things are not, you
1: know, yeah.
0: Good. You know, I have at the time of my second transplant, I also got cataract surgery. I got a new lens and I got a glaucoma tube put in.
1: Wow.
0: Um, so I had a lot done at that time. Um, but you know, not that I'd wish this happened to me, but I am so grateful it did. You know, I, I would never wish this on anyone, but it changed my life in more ways than I you could ever imagine. Um, I was so grateful to have my family. I was still living at home in Boston. So my mom to take me to doctor's appointments and um, to have my dad there. My sister was currently living in New York. Um, but, you know, I, I had them there to support me and carry on. But I honestly didn't tell anyone really what happened to me until last year.
1: During quarantine, what was what was the impetus? Like you just felt like you wanted to release it, or
0: yeah, I had been I'd been interviewed before, and if you knew me personally, you knew what happened. But something about being quarantined again, you know, that beginning because you
1: were quarantined fully,
0: um, that beginning March April feeling brought back so much emotion of what it felt like to be quarantined and I couldn't go outside and, you know, it being so dark in my room. And I had all these feelings of what it felt like when I had my first transplant again, that I felt like I wasn't trying to deceive anyone by not telling them what happened to me. But I just also felt like it didn't matter because it doesn't affect my work and my business. So I felt like, why should I tell people? But I did a self-portrait series. Um, I had taken an image of my good eye, my left eye, um, after my transplant and did this like little journal entry. And so I thought it was a good time to do the other side and photograph my right eye um, where you could still see all my stitches. I never got all my stitches taken out. Um and you know it's a little bit more maybe bloodshot um uh and a bit more hazy, you know, from I mean normal people, you can't tell the difference. You know, I can of course tell the difference. Um, so, I wanted to do a side by side and then do another little journal entry about like what being in the pandemic felt like and how that reminded me of what it was like being sick um and I felt like I just needed to say it, share it with social media so then I could move on
1: i mean know, it's just it's side. so incredibly powerful. I'm like literally in a trance <laughs> listening to you. tell your story. I wanna know what those beginning days of like when you, it started to hit you that this was going to be a reality for the rest of your life. Um, being a photographer, literally like the one sense that you lean on every single day, like people literally hire you for your refined eyes. Um, talk to me about what that was like psychologically, how you, you know, found it in you to like get up and continue to do it and rely on your left eye. Um, yeah, I'm just, I, I'm, you're so strong. And I'm just like, so I'm so, yeah, I'm, I'm so moved by you. And I'm just curious to know what that process was like.
0: I'll be honest. The beginning was really hard. Um, I think after that, when they told me I'd be better by Thanksgiving and I wasn't, I think I was like, okay, this is not going to be a piece of cake. You know, I got, and then when they're throwing experimental medications at you and you're signing forms and like, you know, because they're doing everything they can to help you get your eyesight back. I think I was like, okay, this isn't, this could be the rest of my life, you know, dealing with this. Um, I think everyone in their life is thrown a hardship. I was thrown mine at maybe an early age than everybody else, or maybe later compared to people that are born with health issues. But I think we're all thrown hurdles and this was just mine and i had no other option but to accept it at that point after thanksgiving when things weren't getting better i i thought to myself i was like okay say i can't go back to photography what am i going to do and i i truthfully took out my diary and i wrote down nothing i had no idea what i would do i was i was like i'm not going to sit behind a desk you know I just knew that wasn't going to be me. So I was like, this is it. I just have to figure it out. You know, this is what I want to do. You know, they took away the vision of my right eye, but I still have my left eye. And technically you, I mean, you don't even need vision to shoot, you know, (laughs) but you know, there are, I'm sure amazing photographers out there who don't see well out of both eyes. So I was like, I at least have one eye that's strong and I will teach that eye um to shoot. I'm
1: literally crying. So,
0: um, I didn't really realize it was that difficult until I was telling people that I was switching eyes to shoot. Um because if you are a photographer, you have a dominant eye that you shoot through the camera with. Um and at that time I I couldn't, you know, had I had the vision of my right eye, I wouldn't be able to shoot with my left eye. It's just not natural. But with the elimination of my right eye, it's almost like my body was like, okay, backup plan you know, I, it didn't take that much for me to figure it out. Um, it was a little uncomfortable in the beginning, but then it was almost like second nature. And I, I can tell the difference. Cause I think, I think my work looks different. In what way? I mean, maybe it's not a technical aspect looking different, but I just, my imagery from 2015 on is just so different to what I was doing before. I just think. The way I capture and see things is in a whole new way. So, like I said, I mean, I I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but I'm so grateful it happened to me because I just think it changed my whole life for
1: the better. What do you see now that you didn't see before?
0: I think a lot of what other people realized in 2020, I realized in 2015, you know, an appreciation for the little things, you know for what you have. Um, I remember thinking, and this is so sad to say, you know, at that Thanksgiving, you know, in 2015, you know, my family's like praying before the meal, thanking each other. And, you know, you you thank yourself for good health. And it wasn't until that Thanksgiving that I was like, yes, you have to thank yourself for good health because it's it's not something that we're all guaranteed. And it wasn't until then that I realized I had been taking my health for granted and so many things in my life. And I knew I would never do that again. Um, I'm so grateful every day that I, I wake up and that I breathe and I can walk and that I have my left eye and uh, that I'm no longer in pain, you know, and I just cherish those moments as small victories. And I think that's so important. Um for anybody, whether you're sick or not, you know, um, if you're dealing with anything that, you know, in 2020 helped people kind of focus in on what was important. Um, and I got that a little bit earlier in 2015 when I got to be, mm-hmm. you know, I was isolated. And um, I think just since then, my life changed. I just see the world. Differently, and people, and I mean, I learned a lot about friendship and human interactions, um, how people treated me differently, who stuck around, you know, um, how people deal with people when they're um, in pain or sick or grieving. You know, I what was your biggest takeaway
1: there? Um, I think
0: everybody deals with pain differently, and you know. Some people just can't. you know I definitely had people in my life leave because they couldn't be around me being sick. Um, and I don't think that has any reflection on me and everything about them and what how they handle pain. And maybe they have something in their past or they're personally silently dealing with struggles. Um, mine just was very obvious and evident because it was a physical appearance and my pain was physical. So, everyone's everyone has their own insecurities and issues, and so I just learned, you know, some people deal with it differently, and some people couldn't be around me because I was sick, um, and then other people, you know, my family, they they kicked it into high gear. You know, it, it was they they were my support system, my backbone, um, and they did everything to keep me confident and strong. Um, And give me whatever support I needed, whether it was, you know, I mean, I was living at home, I had a place, I'm grateful I had a place to live, you know, I couldn't see so I couldn't drive. So my mom had to take me into every doctor appointment. Um, You know, that's small, but that's, I'm so grateful, you know.
1: I mean, it's literally the small things. I feel like that is such a massive shift in your day to day now, and like what strength you were able to probably go into the pandemic feeling. You know, like you were able to surpass it the first time, and you're able to surpass it again now. What a powerful! I'm literally crying. Just so you know, (laughs) I'm curious when it comes to like how you interact with people, um, specifically when you're shooting them. How how has that changed? Like, how do you see them? as differently than you would have before this whole thing happened to you?
0: Absolutely. It's night and day. Um, you have to go to every shoot with so much compassion and empathy. Um, I like to be photographed at least a couple times a year myself to remind myself what it's like to be on the other side. I hate having my photo taken (laughs) and a lot of photographers I'm sure feel the same way. Um, But personally, since my what happened to me in 2015, I can tell so many differences in both of my eyes and how I'm photographed. It makes me very uncomfortable. Um, And when you're in front of a camera, you have to be vulnerable. So understanding now what that feels like, theirs might not be a physical issue, you know, but maybe they just got bad news or maybe, you know, They're having a tough day or maybe they don't feel their best in the body that day, you know, understanding where people are coming from and making them feel the most confident, the most beautiful, so strong in having that come across in the photo. I want them to be themselves and I want them to know that I understand what it's like and to be vulnerable in front of someone you don't know. I mean, it's a complete stranger sometimes taking your photograph, you know, and just trying to understand what it's like to be on the other side. And I think that, I mean, I said, I feel like my work changed a lot. And I think that's it, you know, Um, just being able to really realize um, how much someone has to bring to the table for their photo to be taken, you know, and so I'm going to bring my best self so that they can feel like they can bring their best self.
1: What is like the biggest message that you want? Obviously the active ingredient listener is a seeker, you know, like we're, we're all trying to live the best quality life that we possibly can. And we're always trying to improve. And I think that like, I mean, since I started the podcast, it's been very career heavy and I I don't necessarily think it has to be. I think that clearly your family has been a huge active ingredient of yours. And, um, I'm just, I, I, I would love to hear what your biggest message is to someone who's like us, who is like trying to be the best or see life in the best possible light. Um, yeah. What's What's your message to them?
0: I love that. See life in the best possible light. You know, everyone, everyone is dealing with something, you know, this was just mine. Um, and I think the most important thing is don't let whatever hurdles are thrown your way, interfere with what you want to do. Photography was my passion and I was not going to let losing the vision in my right eye change that. Um, so I adapted and life is all about adapting, you know, day to day and routines, you know, or bigger things like career and family. Um, to me, you have no other option than to figure it out. Um, But once you know what your passion is, and I don't think your passion necessarily has to be your career. I was fortunate enough to have it be mine. Um, And then losing the sight of my eye reinforced that that was my passion. I knew it before, but then once I lost my vision, I was like, okay, this is really what I'm meant to do and meant to be. Um, But your passion could be, you know, it could be a hobby. It could be, you know, a small activity. It could be anything. But once you find those, hold on to them and incorporate them into your life as much as you can um, because it's everything. And I'm so grateful that I was able to keep my passion um, and find greater love for it every day um, so I can only hope that other people do the same.
1: I love that answer. Wow. So for someone that is looking for the passion side in their career, are there any things you're, you're very lucky that it was clear to you at a very young age. I feel like even for me, like it's something that I'm still not a hundred percent sure that I'm, I'm in it, you know? Um, but I'm just curious to know what's an advice that you would give to someone who's looking for it in their career on like how to find it.
0: Oh, that's such an interesting question. Um, I guess I'd say that your passion doesn't have to be if you want to find it in your career, accept the fact that it might not be your whole career, you know, it could be a small part of your day to day that really gives you the most passion. Um, It doesn't have to be the overall what you do, you know, Uh, you might be, you know, not so passionate about joining Zooms every day in the busy work. And, you know, I mean, that's me too. I mean, I took up photography because I love to be on set. I love to be shooting. I, I, but I also very much enjoy editing. Um, I love looking at the images. I love fine tuning them and selecting which ones. You know, so you have to kind of try everything to figure out what you like the most and what matters the most to you. But it doesn't have. You don't have to love every second of everything you do every day. Yeah. Um, it could be five minutes a day. I'd be happy if I loved, if I did what I did and there was five minutes a day that I loved it, I'm like, I'm leading a good life and a fulfilling life. You know, some days I feel unproductive. And if I get five minutes in of reading, you know, that's a successful day for me. It has nothing to do with my career, you know, but um, yeah, I think realizing that your passions don't have to be your career, but if you're fortunate to have them, um, you know, make make the most of every day and try to figure out what it is that you like about what you're doing. And if you don't, change it. Yeah. You know, there's nothing holding you back, you know. I I was thrown that crossroad where I could change my career. I had the opportunity, you know, I could have said, okay, you know what? Maybe I don't want to be a photographer. Maybe I would like to be on a photo research team at a magazine, you know, behind the scenes, you know, but to me that didn't feel right. Um but for others, you know, maybe it's an opportunity like that to make you realize, oh, I don't like what I'm doing. Now's the time I can switch it.
1: Yeah. So for anyone listening, that's like, damn, I want to be a photographer now. <laughs> what advice would you give them? What's like the the camera that you need to start shooting with? Um, yeah. Any any advice for like a photographer or a photography lover um, or someone who's just like trying to get their foot in the door in the photography space?
0: I think absorb as much as you can. Um, I'm not, I think the best camera you have is the camera you have on you. You know, whether that be a very expensive Nikon DSLR camera, um, or that be your iPhone, also very expensive. But um, (laughs) uh, I think whatever you have on you is the best, is your best outlet for shooting. You know, I go out day to day and I, I take photos on my iPhone of things I see around the city. I also use it as a means for my mood boards and inspiration. You know, I'll pass, I'll be in a cab and I'll pass by a building and I'll be like, oh my God, that would be perfect for a photo shoot. I'll take a photo of the street sign, save it. Whatever you have on you is your best camera in visual aspect. Um, But just absorb as much as you can. Learn from people. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I think there's so much expectation these days to know everything technically and I think it's okay to be, to not feel right or to not feel totally comfortable and to ask someone. Um, I wish there was more like mentorship um, in all careers, but um, for people not being afraid to give away secrets because it's, I want everyone to succeed. There's room for everyone in the creative field, in any field. So making room for everybody is important. So I think, you know, ask, maybe get a mentor. YouTube can be a mentor too, searching how to do things. I think you don't know what kind of photography you like until you try it all. And so, every different aspects, you know, take take every job even if you think you might not like it in the beginning. You're like, I definitely took a bunch of jobs and I was like, okay, like I'm I'm never doing that again.
1: What would you say your active ingredient is? Like the deeper mission or purpose behind what you do?
0: I think to create something every day doesn't necessarily have to be a photo. You know, I'm grateful when the days are, but I like to just, to keep my creativity and inspiration growing and um, to keep me growing as a person, I need to create every day. I grew up creative, you know, and it's been a constant in my life through my family and my career, but sometimes it's I'm creating a new outfit for something I'm wearing, or I create a dish for dinner. Um, I live with my sister, and I, I cook dinner for the two of us every night. That's exciting to me that I can create something.
1: It's exciting um, for me, for you,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure she's very excited that she gets fed dinner every night. Definitely. Um. So just to be able to create every day, however big or small, but um, that's what is my active ingredient and keeps me going in pushing me, um, pushing me to grow.
1: Yeah. I always close out the podcast asking what is your literal active ingredient? Something that you have to eat, consume, do, um, be with if it's a person drink or whatever, anything like that.
0: Um, I'll give a couple, but, um, ice coffee, um, (laughs) in college I had a Dunkin' medium iced coffee with milk in a reduced fat blueberry muffin every single day.
1: Oh my God, Um, yum.
0: My career is not not a lot of routine. I don't do the same thing every day. My schedule is always different. So creating some sort of consistency day-to-day helps me, especially being type A. Mm -hmm. Um, So having a coffee break, um, either two o'clock in the afternoon to get out of my apartment and get a nice coffee and come back, um, makes my day. But, um, my biggest active ingredient is my sister. She's my best friend, uh, and means everything to me. And if you knew her, her smile can light up a room. You could be having the worst day, but if you're stuck with my sister for less than 30 seconds, you are having the best day of your life. She makes everything fun. Um, of course, I'm fortunate enough to live with her, so my day to days are always good. But um, she, I would have her as my active ingredient in every way possible. Um, I mean, we're <laughs> only 15 months apart, so we're so similar and so close in age. Um, we love all the same things, um, and you know, she's so positive, and I wish I was more like that. And I try every day to be more like her. Um, I'm older but you can always learn from a younger sibling
1: Uh, I'm the older one too and I'm always learning from mine so I hear you
0: uh, she's just so she's radiant there's no other way to describe her so she's my active ingredient she drives my she helps me grow as a person a human being um, being more compassionate and then you know my work. She thinks everything I do is great. Um, that's so not true. But um, you know, to come home and show her the images I took of the day, and she's like, "Oh, I love this one. Show me this and this." You know, um, confidence is so important. So she she builds me up.
1: Oh. Wow. Okay, well, your sister's going to have to come on after ingredient. <laughs> um, and then we're going to have to do like a sister date with me yeah. and my sister and you and your sister. Okay. I love, I love this. Well, you are invited back anytime. You are literally the epitome of strength and I love your story. I really want to shout it from the rooftops. Your work is absolutely incredible. Where can everyone find you?
0: You can follow me on Instagram at smallgirlbiglens. Um, or at Alyssa Greenberg Photography.com. Um, but thank you so much for having me. I, I love being able to share my story and inspire others and show that, you know, we create our own strength. It's all in us and just whatever is thrown our way um, to come out with it on the other end in a positive attitude. Um, I'm so grateful that I was able to, and I hope others um, listen and, and are inspired to do the same.
1: You absolutely did. At least for me, and I'm sure for everyone listening. Um, thank you.
0: Thank you.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.